Before we get started, just a quick note about something you hear at the end of the show. In the credits, I mentioned that Nate Schweber does the music. And don't worry, he still does. But I wanted to tell you that he's got a new album out. It's called Gaps, and it's available for download or in handy CD format. And I invite you to check out nateschweber.bandcamp.com to listen to snippets and to add it to your musical collection. Thanks for supporting independent musicians. And now, here's that familiar Nate tune to get us started. I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. Thanksgiving is going to be different this year here in the United States, but for many of us, smaller crowd sizes don't mean different foods or different beers. I'm talking with Hutch Kugeman of the Culinary Institute of America on how to plan out beer and food pairings, what to think about if you're considering a cooking education, and the current state of the hospitality industry. Up first, Neil Callahan is the brand manager for Cigar City Brewing, which is this week's sponsor on the podcast. He's on the phone with me right now. Neil, welcome back, and thanks for supporting the show. Last week, we were talking about High Lie, but this week, let's turn it down a little bit and talk about High Low, the new IPA from the brewery. How did it come into existence? You know, we really wanted to create an extension of Highlight IPA, which is our flagship beer. It's really the heart and soul of Cigar City Brewing. So we wanted to kind of take that recipe, take all the tropical qualities of that beer and crank down the intensity a little bit. So we've got a beer now that clocks in at 4% alcohol, 120 calories, makes it even more sessionable, a little easier drinking than a Highlight IPA. So you talk about lower ABV, lower calories. Let's talk about flavors, though. How is high-low similar, and how is it different from high-lie? What can we expect taste and aroma-wise? Well, maintaining the fidelity and sort of the vision for the high-lie IPA, IPA is the goal with this beer. It wasn't necessarily to make a lower-calorie, lower-alcohol beer and just get it out to market. It was to maintain all the things that make high-lie an exceptional beer in a easier drinking package. So we're using a lot of the same hops. We're still dry hopping with Simcoe. You're getting a lot of those same tropical fruit qualities and balance in an easier drinking package. We'll have more with Neil later on in the show, but for now, go check out CigarCityBrewing.com to learn all about Hilo IPA. This is the time of year where I often either write or I'm asked to contribute to a what to drink on Thanksgiving kind of story. It's a lot of fun, if not a bit predictable. But rather than share my random thoughts, I wanted to consult a real professional. Hutch Kugeman is the head brewer for the brewery at the Culinary Institute of America, known as the CIA, in Hyde Park, New York. He's an award-winning brewer who, over the last several years, has also been a professor to those who want to learn how to brew beer. Spending his time at the CIA, there's also a lot of food talk, technique, and thought that happens. And so as we think about what to serve on our table this week and throughout the holiday season, I wanted to get his thoughts on pairings. He's also active with the New York State's Brewers Guild, and when given a soapbox, he stands tall and gives us words we all need to hear. Wearing a mask because he was on campus and that's the rules, he spoke to me from the brewery in New York. Here's our conversation. You know, I don't know how many people are familiar actually with the school and what you all are doing there. And so I, I feel like it's probably good for everybody's education if you just spend a little bit of time here at the top of the show you know, telling us about the program and sure. you know, the yeah, goals I mean, that you're uh, achieving. Yeah. So so the Culinary Institute of America, it's, we're in um, Hyde Park, New York, so just north of Poughkeepsie, uh, right on the Hudson River, um, located in an old uh, or on the, the campus of an old seminary, the, Saint An the Brothers of St. Andrew. Um, 
and we're the the, the nation's leading uh, culinary educator. So we are a full college uh, where students can come and learn kind of all aspects of the food business. Um, the school started in the 40s in in, uh, in New Haven as a way to train GIs coming back from World War II in culinary skills. Um, and for a long time, that was the focus was um, returning servicemen. Uh, and then in the 1970s, kind of outgrew the location there, moved here to, to Hyde Park uh, and eventually you know, transformed from just a uh, trade school to a full college offering an associate's degree to eventually a college offering bachelor's degree and now with our first master's degrees. Um, and a lot of that focus originally was on culinary skills, you know, the, the actual act of cooking. And, mm -hmm. and that's sort of what people know us for and, you know, the people they see on the Food Network and um, <laughs> Bobby Flay and Anthony Bourdain and all, all the famous people who went off to the world to become chefs. Uh, but also a lot of it has developed into the, the food world in a bigger picture. So whether it's research and development, food science, um, whether it's more of how food touches the world. Uh, and we have a, a, an applied food studies program that is more of, um, you know, kind of a sociology of food in a way. Um, and then there's, there's business courses, of course, but for the most, but my focus more is on the beverage sector. Uh, and so there's been a lot of beverage education for a long time. Wine education was a big part of what every student learned here. Um, and the wine certainly has a longer history of being respected in the culinary world. But uh, but beer has become a really important part of it, um, not just because there's a lot of craft breweries and that, that means a lot of jobs that are out there, but um, but that even students who are going to be in the kitchen need to understand beer, need to understand beer flavor, need to understand how beer is made. Right. Um, the day of, you know, you I'm sure you remember very well, you know, especially going to New York City and going to a fine restaurant or, or, or a nice cocktail bar and you had four choices on tap and they weren't good. Um, <laughs> and three of them you know, were from the same brewing company. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you know, you had, you had, you know, Heineken and Amstel Light and something else that you didn't want. Um, <laughs> that changed, you know, that changed I, yeah, I, can't, I can't fault Amstel Light too much. I actually really, I, that was one of the beers that I drank kind of early on before I discovered real flavor. Fair, fair I, enough. It, it was I never my first spot for choice, it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think back in the day I was a moosehead guy just because that was from Canada. So <laughs> okay, then you definitely live in a glass house where you can't throw stones at <laughs> Amstel Light moosehead. Um, but, you know, it's been a long time since that changed and that even, you know, places like 11 Madison Park had exemplary beer programs. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so the time for our students to learn about that has come or had come a long time ago. And so uh, about five years ago, uh, as part of an opening of a new facility here on campus, which is our student commons called The Egg, uh, which is a beautiful place right on the Hudson River. Oh, yeah. Uh, we added on a brewery. So uh, with the help of Brooklyn Brewery, um, we designed and added on a seven-barrel production facility that produces beer for all of our on-campus restaurants. We have five restaurants on campus, as well as our student center, which has beer on tap, um, and then serves as a classroom. So in addition to all the wine and spirits classes the students have available, now they have a, a brewing class. Um, I worked very closely with one of our beverage instructors, John Fisher, um, and he does the lecture portion of the class, and then I serve as the lab, the hands-on portion. So students get to come in here every week, uh, get their hands dirty, uh, which is what our students prefer anyway. They yeah. don't particularly like sitting in a classroom. And, uh, and learn the brewing process, and we take them all the way through, you know, giving them as much depth as we can. I'm curious as to 
how beer and food pairings have evolved over time. Because I think back to 2013 or thereabouts, or you know, the 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 last part of the first decade in this uh, in this century, and then you know maybe about midway through. And 2013 is when my American Craft Beer Cookbook came out, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of focus on trying to introduce a new generation of drinkers or an older generation of drinkers to different flavors of beer through food, through food pairings. And it, it almost seems, and I know this year has been weird with not being out in, in the world, but it almost seems like food has taken a backseat again when it comes to talking about craft beer. Ha, have you seen that or is that just something that I'm... No, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've seen that necessarily, but I, I definitely understand your point. Um, maybe because the idea for a long time pairing beer and food was a new idea yeah and we were we were able to use that to kind of inspire people to try new things and people and, and to show off all these great pairings we have you know um i try not to get bogged down here at school on the wine versus beer argument although i do sometimes um <laughs> but and what i tell our students is one of the things beer has working in its favor is a wide variety of flavor contributors you know wine flavor is coming largely from the grapes uh, and, and with beer, we've got malted barley, we've got hops, we've got, you know, fermentation character, um, additional flavors, barrel aging, all these other things that can give it a more complex flavor that maybe helps it pair up better with different foods where wine might've struggled before. Yeah. Um, I think we had that opportunity to kind of teach people that and introduce new flavors and then it wasn't new anymore. And I think that's kind of where we are. The idea isn't new anymore. So how do we continue to inspire people to, to try new things and to, 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 pair beer and food while also we have to look at the fact the industry has been self-limiting in some ways um when everything's an ipa you've now limited the flavors you can work with and, and i always find that of all the beers that pair with food ipa can be challenging um, because of the bitterness so sure. we're, we're limiting ourselves by not offering the same variety we used to offer now i think you probably see this too the last year or two we're, i'm seeing that change again right uh more and more brewers are going back to doing things besides ipa um, and I think I wouldn't say the hazy IPA craze is over, but I think it's leveled <laughs> off somewhat. Maybe. And, but and that's, seeing... but, but that's what I was going to ask you about like IPA though, because that it, it is the dominant force right now. And mm-hmm. when we think about West coast IPAs, you know, I, I've given talks where, you know, I, I've showcased how versatile it can be. You know, mm-hmm. you can pair it with blue cheese really well. You can pair it with, you know, spicy Thai or Szechuan um, and like carrot cake. Those are the three examples that I use because they're three extremes. You said, you said carrot cake? Carrot cake. Oh, I've never tried that. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, it's one of my favorites. IPA and carrot cake are just, it works really, really well. I'm personally um, fond of IPA and chocolate chip cookies, but that's because I love IPA and chocolate chip cookies. Well, sure, <laughs> well, sure, and that's and that's also part of the personal taste to it. But I'm sure. finding that the the uh, New England style IPA is much more difficult to pair um, because there aren't as many you know rules or guardrails, and I know that's part of the avant-garde you know brewer badge of honor these days um but when you start adding like lactose to things or you start sure. adding you know fruit purees or you're souring them or or whatever and the style is so nebulous um yeah it can be agreed. really difficult it, it, to find and even the ones that are supposed to be more straightforward that aren't fruited or or, or uh sugared with lactose can have a wide range of flavor components in them yeah you know whereas one ipa one west coast ipa i might find Obviously, you know, they're all that big fruit forward sort of 
character and you could focus on that sort of tangerine or orange or peach aspect of a lot of them um, and, and focus on that as a pairing. But what, do they have the hot burn in the back? You know, that, that deep acidity that kind of rests in your throat. Some do, some don't. Yeah. That to me changes the character of the beer quite a bit um, and would make it particularly hard to pair with, I think. So, um, so when you start thinking about pairings and you start thinking about what's on the plate and, and what's in the glass, wh- mm-hmm. where do you typically start and how do you build out from there? Well, assuming that it's just a regular pairing, that I'm, there's no overarching theme or focus to it, um, that it's just, hey, what, what goes well with this beer? Uh, or likewise, what goes well with this dish? I usually start with flavor intensity. Um, is this an intense flavored dish or beer? If so, I want to try and match that intensity in the the counterpoint. Um, something lighter, I'm starting with lighter beers. That, to me, that's the easiest place to start. Uh, will, you know, if I have a, a, a lighter fish dish, let's say, well, mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to want to overwhelm that with a stronger flavored beer. Then I'm looking at individual flavors, you know, without being too matchy-matchy. You know, is there something here I can I can grasp onto? Is there a citrus note? Is there a um, it, or another fruit? Is there a particular spice note? Something that I, or is it a meat that maybe has a tremendous amount of flavor? Something like game meat, um, or is there a sweetness to it? Is it shellfish? Uh, then I'm trying to match a specific character, more or less. Um, and then sometimes, honestly, I just start trying things mm-hmm. and, and saying, Do I think this tastes good together? Um, I think you can get away a little bit with some seasonality. Use that as a guideline. You know, we're in, we're getting into, we're not getting into, we're basically almost in winter. So we're, we're looking at richer dishes right now. I think that naturally leads you to richer, more robust flavored beers. Um, And likewise in the summer, right? Lighter dishes, lighter beers. That's kind of where my base is looking at intensity of flavor and intensity of flavor of the beer and dish together. And then trying to pick out some individual characteristic that I can, that I can match with. So you mentioned winter, and this is airing right before Thanksgiving, and you know, obviously the, the, everything is weird this year, and I'm just going to keep repeating it because sure. it's weird. Um, but yeah, there's always these plethora of articles that pop up of you know, what to pair with Thanksgiving dinner and what to, what right. to think about that way. And, I, and I've been guilty of writing them in the past and giving quotes to some of them in the past, but... Um, I imagine that's a question you get quite a bit as well. I do, yeah. I mean, when you're talking about a specific meal like Thanksgiving, right, where if there's any meal of the year where food is the star, it's Thanksgiving. Um, my approach to those is more or less just try and be complimentary and, and more or less you know, stay out of the way a little bit when it comes to the beer pairing. Mm-hmm. Because unless it's a really someone who's really intensively or intently trying to do a beer and Thanksgiving pairing together and that's, that's what they want, what they really want is beer that tastes good with their Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and so, and that can be pretty easy. I mean, you've done this yourself before. Brown ale is such an all purpose beer when it comes to beer and food pairing. So, you know, what's the star? Okay. Turkey's the star of the dish, right? You get your sides of the star of the dish, the pecan pie or or the pumpkin pie. These are the things people want to have stuffing. Um, so what are beers I can offer that then, that then complement those. And you look to malty beers, brown ales, Oktoberfest, you know, if you can still get a good fresh one, perfect. Um, Belgian double can be a great one if you want to go a little bit more on the, the spicy, fruity character. I am going to um, stop you and argue that the ones that you picked up in late August and September are still plenty good as far as Oktoberfest go. Oktoberfest? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
let's let's face it. If it was a good one to begin with from a good brewery, then it's probably still good. Yeah. Um, Fair. So yeah. absolutely. Uh, you know, lager beer certainly uh, has a good shelf life. But uh, yeah, it. I'm I'm looking for, for to be complimentary in that case, and just give me something that that supports the flavors. You know, you've got roast turkey, so you've got the caramelization there. That that pulls on malt tones really easily. Um, if you're looking for something a little lighter, you know, I think some of the lighter Belgian styles can be interesting. Um, if you can find a beer de garde or a lighter saison, that might be nice. Again, you're, you're kind of playing with that spiciness, um, going with something a little drier. It's hard to go wrong with a light lager, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and by that, I don't mean American light lager, but a Hellas, a Dortmunder, a Pilsner, um, if it's not too hoppy, you know, something that's just going to be light and complimentary and, and, and palate quenching, um, IPA probably not the best match, but if IPA is what you like, and I tell the students this all the time, drink what you like. Yeah. And if you'd like the way it tastes together, then fine. You know, it, it, there shouldn't be rules about this. It should be guidelines. So, um, like I said, with Thanksgiving, just try, I'm trying to stay out of the way. Now, if it was a Christmas, Christmas dinner's a little, uh, or, or, you know, Hanukkah, well, Hanukkah probably more traditional, but Christmas dinner can really vary. People have different stuff for Christmas. Some have Thanksgiving dinner, some have roast beef, some have, you know, lasagna and fish. Yeah. Um, then I think you're, you're, you know, all bets are off now and you can kind of try and pair with the individual dishes. Um, I agree with you that there shouldn't be rules. Um, are there guidelines though that you try to follow? You mentioned, you know, some for Thanksgiving in particular, or, or just, I, I mean, we can sort of build it out from there as well, but I, sure. I, I think, yeah, beer and food in general. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, I think being complimentary is probably one of them. And, and, you know, I started before by saying matching intensity of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some, I find it's seldom that you have one of the two items, either whether it's the beer or the food being incredibly strong flavored and the other one, not where it works very well. Um, at that point, you might as well drink whatever because <laughs> one, you know, one thing is going to shine. Excuse me for one second. Yeah. <clears> That's in my throat. Um, so yeah, I'm starting with the idea of balance and complementariness, and, and what are things that are going to bring out the best of both dishes. Uh, and then, like I said, going to a um, trying to then latch onto an individual flavor component or aroma component, and trying to balance to match that up maybe in the other. Um, so if it's a a spicy di- a dish with a, a certain spice character, can I find a beer that complements that well? Um, I often think you find those ideas when you look at the dish itself. You know if uh, if we're going to have a, a steak, what are we having with the steak? You know, is it going to be peppered? Uh, you know, is there going to be some sort of a poivre, whether it's actually a cream one or not? Um, if so, then maybe the pepperiness is something I can latch onto. Uh, is it grilled or charred? Yeah. You know, if so, maybe that's that caramelization that I can latch onto. Um, is, uh, are we having duck? Okay. Well, duck is very fatty. So maybe I want something that's going to be crisper and drier to balance that out. But the duck is made with cherries. Okay, now I can latch onto this and say, hey, Belgian double, which is always a good pairing for game meats, also goes great with those cherry flavors. That might be a good match. Um, so with my students, I'm often, when I'm trying to get them to try new pairings, I'm asking them, if you had this protein or you have this one major ingredient, what are you going to do with this that's going to taste good with this one ingredient? Let's use those as inspirations for matching the beer. When you start thinking about 
for some reason, as you started talking about all these these various ingredients, one, I was getting hungry. Um, but two, I, I started thinking about, um, I guess, like the ingredients inside of the beers as well. Okay. You know, yeah. because it's not just necessarily um, – you know, straight up styles as well, but there are, you know, brewers that are using, you know, pepper in their, you know, pepper kernels in their beer or tea in their beer or, you know, spices and herbs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're thinking about pairing and you know that say a beer has sage or rosemary in it and you're going to pair it with something that would traditionally have sage or rosemary in it in in the food dish, do you scale back food wise or do you still match intensity how, how, how have you approached that in the past that's a good question um i think i think if it's a particularly hmm, i think let's say you let's say you're giving me a dish that is heavy on sage and rosemary and like that's a really dominant flavor mm-hmm. and whether i don't know whether it's a, a pork dish or something like that yeah i probably do scale back and i probably look for a beer that has hints of those flavors rather than one that was dominated by that flavor. Because then I think what happens is you have that one flavor taking over everything. And so maybe I look for, you know, a mild IPA that's got an herbal character in the hops. Hmm. Or um, trying to think uh, of, a, of a beer. Honestly, might be interesting with, with a German beer with German hops in it, which tend to have more, you know, could have more of that herbal spicy character to them. Yeah, I might look to then try and bring that flavor out of a beer where maybe that was not the dominant flavor in the beer, if that makes sense. Um, it does. Yeah. Because I think that's when you can get a pairing that really surprises people. Um, with, with, with taking some one particular strong flavor in a dish and then using that to bring a subtle flavor out of a beer. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about main dishes. Um, mm-hmm. Dessert, I think, is is often much more of a challenge than people think because there are some easy layups with vanilla ice cream or cheese or you know, whatever that can you know complement a, a nice saison or can complement a, a, a nice you know raspberry chocolate stout or or right. whatever. Um, but there, there's actually a lot more versatility. Uh, in desserts, and I think because there are so many beer flavors that are out there, beer styles that are out there that are so sugary and that already mimic desserts, that we tend to go simple uh, on our on our plates. Um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it can often be, I think, limiting uh, culinary wise. Sure. Yeah, and you really do have to watch, especially with the number of desserts that you know are very sweet by their nature making the beer taste so much bitter, more bitter by comparison. Right. Um, that is actually, and I haven't done much testing with this, but this might be a place where hazy IPA could, could have a, a field day, especially the ones that are lactose heavy or, or heavily fruited. Um, same, similarly, I think with, with a lot of the, the heavily fruited sours, mm-hmm. you know, that still have a lot of unfermented sugar in them. Um, I haven't had a chance to sit down and really go through this, but I wonder if, you know, a raspberry sour, one that's, you know, with the, with the sugar, with the fruits added post fermentation, uh, and maybe a piece of pie, you know, or, um, a dessert that would feature that same sort of fruitiness might really work. Whereas that you know, a piece of, let's say just pull cherry pie just for, uh, you know, for anybody who likes warrant, um, we'll, 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 we'll use that as an example. Um, God, 
Yeah, All right. It took, back, it took me a second, but yeah. He, showing, our, showing my age here. He got um, there. Did, did you just win a bet or something by name dropping no, 80s hairbands on the show? That was that was spirit. That was for the moment. Um, <laughs> it, it, hey, when inspiration strikes, you got to run with it. Uh, you know, it, something like that, that that can be so heavily sugared and syrupy, right? Yeah. Outside of some Belgian beers, you know, outside of trying to match it with a limb, with a with a, a framboise or something like that, uh, or creek rather. Um, you know, that's that's the place where beer is going to struggle a little bit with that with something that's so syrupy. But I really do wonder if a if a syrupy sour and syrupy maybe isn't the right very positive term to use but some of these heavily fruited sours have that really intense sweetness balanced by the acidity uh, in the beer mm-hmm. I, I really think that would be an interesting combination to try um that i haven't tried yet so this is this is kind of theoretical but i'm wondering in your teaching your education um one of the the big things that we're obviously seeing from some brewers these days are just taking food items and tossing them into the mash Mm-hmm. Uh, or taking full you know, food items and adding them to the fermenter. And over the last couple of weeks, I've seen uh, Skittles and I've seen uh, full turkey dinners. Uh, there are certainly pies going into the mash. Um, is that something that you've walked down the, the road with with your students at all of uh, not so desecrating much, uh, beer the, in such the, a way? The full turkey dinner, that's an interesting one. Um, no, the only thing we've done, gone down that road with was, uh, from more of a sustainability aspect was using leftover bread, um, yeah. as a source. So we've, we've done, uh, quite a bit of that. We have a number of bake shops here on campus, um, that, and, and the whole full bakery cafe that, and also we have a baking and pastry school. So we have people making bread as practice. Um, sometimes it doesn't all get sold, uh, but they still make fresh bread the next day because that's part of their learning. So we have done some, some, uh, Beers made with leftover bread. Uh, it came out great. I would be happy to do it again. I can never um, pronounce that style correctly. It's kvass? Oh, that's the traditional one, kvass. But we literally were taking bread and just using it as a starch source. Oh, okay. In another beer. So uh, we did a couple pilsners with it. Um, we did some IBA with it. We were basically replacing portion of the malted barley we would have used with what would have otherwise been a waste product. Um, pretty what's, successfully. What sort of, yeah, I was going to ask what sort of uh, flavor notes you got like could you in blind taste would people be able to notice something different i don't think so really? uh, i also purposely used as neutral a bread as i could uh, i didn't you know for instance i know brooklyn had done a beer with leftover like danish rye bread and then they played up the caraway aspect of that and you got that through mm-hmm. um, i was looking at give me no don't give me anything buttery so no brioche i was worried about the fat affecting head retention in the beer um, so I was looking at, you know, sourdoughs and, and, and wheat breads and white bread. Um, I would certainly like to, to experiment more with, with sourdough and then doing it into a, into a sour beer and seeing if we could get some sort of souring from the sourdough itself. Um, but no, we were, we were really going for more flavor neutral stuff. What I found was that the starch was very fermentable. And so it was playing really nicely in very dry beers. Uh, I haven't tried it yet in something that would be more malt forward to see if we could coax could still create a malt forward beer. You know, I wouldn't want something, I wouldn't want to end up with a dry finished malt forward beer, basically, unless I really focus the beer on that. So um, we've done it a couple of times. It hasn't something we've done regularly, but uh, it comes up. Uh, the idea of using potatoes has come up a couple of times because yeah. we have a lot of waste potatoes, um, you know, sort of like the old, the old mask skit where they have to peel potatoes for, as punishment for something, but students here have to learn how to chop and peel. So um, from time to time, it wouldn't be that hard for me to get a hundred pounds of potatoes. Uh, so we've looked at that. 
the I, joke I mean, about you, we've seen the that joke in about the past doing uh, pastry stouts has come up. But, yeah, but uh, um, I think actually Garrett Oliver was giving me a hard time, and wondered if I was doing a, a real pastry stout with real pastries. Uh, <laughs> I might do it just because, but uh, we have we haven't actually tried that yet. More with Hutch is coming up, but first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is made possible by Cigar City Brewing. Tropical and bright, with a full palette of flavor and a potency designed with moderation in mind, Hilo IPA offers the intensity of a typical India Pale Ale while maintaining the highest quality and hop flavor possible. Pick up some today and enjoy citrus flavors of clementine and tangerine that dance on the palate with a snappy bitterness, bread crust-like malt, and sparkling carbonation that provides a balance to this moderate 4% IPA. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. Um, we could we could go down a rabbit hole of uh, <laughs> bad ideas or good ideas or things that look nice on Instagram, but I, I, yeah. I know outside of the school... You've been spending a lot of time with the New York State Brewers Guild, and mm-hmm. again, 2020 being what it is, um, breweries are in a really tough spot these days. And as the year uh, comes to a close and sort of grinds to a to a halt, and we get into a new year that's also racked with uncertainty, um, I'm I'm curious from the conversations that you're having with fellow professional brewers, what you're seeing out there right now, and and overall what it's looking like. Yeah. Um, well, certainly I think everyone's kind of in the same mental place now as we see this second wave kind of attacking us um, of, okay, now what do we do? You know, it's uh, every, everything fell apart in March and everyone, you know, kind of went into a panic and not so much panic, but, a, you know, a survival mode. Yeah. And I think you saw some of us some, panicked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Um, <laughs> some of us got to go home for or not got, got we're, we're at home for many months. Um you saw some breweries, I think, adapt very well, and I was very impressed with the number with the number of people who shifted their business model uh, to delivery and and uh, and shipping, um, got themselves into cans somehow, because we know cans is the only part of the market that seems to be doing well. Uh, scaled back, but also were able to hang on to their employees with innovative ideas. Um, I know my friends down at Newberg Brewing uh, really did a great job of pivoting and were able, you know, brought, were able to bring back kitchen staff because they started delivering empanadas with their beer. Um, and so they were able to employ people by offering empanadas, you know, and keep people on staff. Uh, so, so I've seen some people really respond, uh, well, I've seen other people that I think kind of boarded up a little bit and, mm-hmm. and kind of just tried to float through. And, and I do worry for them that they have not adapted to what is now, now kind of our new normal. Yeah. Um, and then things opened up, right? And then we got into the summer and all of a sudden we had a better, con- especially here in New York, a better contain on the disease and, and people were able to sit outside and everyone's very comfortable. And then all of a sudden the retail establishments were getting back to normal, um, at least making money. And now we're seeing it go back the other way. Right? We're seeing it. It's too cold to sit outside. Places are going to struggle again. And so I worry. I, I worry for, for my friends, uh, all of whom are business owners. Uh, small business. I worry for former retail customers or client, you know, customers of ours. Uh, I worry for their employees. All we can do right now is continue to try and promote, as as the New York State Brewers Association, promote regulations and laws that will be helpful. Um, continue to work with the governor's office to support our breweries, which is what we're doing. Um, keeping an eye on any sort of legislation, trying to get some of these 
what have been special privileges pushed into full-time law. Uh, I think that delivery and, and shipping, um, which is currently legal based on the governor's executive order and was already legal for some breweries, depending on the license you held, mm-hmm. um, and people that's become something people depend on and customers want. Uh, we haven't had any, you know, all the surveys we've done, customers who are receiving beer want to keep receiving beer. And I think now that it's cold, that's important more than ever. And I think the government will will understand that. Um, all we can do is continue to try and come up with innovative ideas to offer people opportunities to make money and, and to help protect their, their uh, employees. What are you seeing as far as consumer outreach? I know in the beginning – there's a lot of talk of, you know, go buy some gift cards, go mm-hmm. uh, merch, you know, whatever you can to sort of help keep people afloat. And um, I think there's fatigue on a lot of levels as well. But, yeah, um, I mean, th- that help is still needed, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, as, like I said, as as we are really in the, the these last three or four weeks where outdoor dining and outdoor is going away. Right. I mean, more and more, it's just too cold to be outside. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I think more and more of that. Now I will say that I think I've seen a lot of adaptation by both breweries and, um, retail establishments getting ready for this and saying, I mean, like the number of places that have tents and heaters and are are doing the best they can to try and make it palatable to be outside, Mm -hmm. uh, is it's impressive. And they're, they're, they're putting in the investment for that. Right. So all these, all these companies are, all these businesses are spending money to make this happen. Um, so I, I would like to see the public continue to support them. I think people will as much as they're allowed to, um, because you still go someplace and I see people sitting around the, the fire around the heater, you know, with gloves on drinking a beer. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we probably as an industry can do a better job connecting with our customers. Uh, I think individual breweries are doing a good job. And I think the New York state brewers association has done a job, pretty good job connecting with the beer drinking public on behalf of the association, because, People don't really think much about it, but um, we are a both member-driven and event-driven association. That that's how we raise money, and all of our events for the entire year were canceled. Yeah. Um, so we've been developing some interesting ideas with a lot of online tastings, uh, online beer festivals, um, private events, things like that. But um, yeah, it's it is really important uh, that people continue to support all their their local businesses. I won't even say just breweries. You know, support your small local businesses. We have the holidays coming up. Think carefully about where you're spending your money on a weekly basis um, and, and who needs your support most of all. Because whether it's breweries or restaurants or small shops, they're community members and all their money goes back into the community. Right. Uh, and so we need to make sure we're, we're continuing to support them as much as we can. And if that means not ordering something off of Amazon, not to pick on them because we all do it, um, finding it locally instead, if you can, I think that's an effort we all have to make. You know, I'm off my yeah. soapbox now. No, yeah. no, no. That it's a good soapbox to be on, and I think it, it it's it's a good reminder for folks as well because there are, you know, everybody I think is worried about their own four walls right now. Um, sure. But you know, if you're listening to a show like this, uh, chances are that you, you care about uh, beer as a product and the people who make it. And a, a good reminder now and again of that it's still really tough for everybody and still continuing, continually going to be tough for folks. Um, it's 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 a good reminder. So I I appreciate that. Um, I wanna I wanna pull you back into school though, sure. Because 
because this is uh, a weird time, ha ha ha, uh, I'm really like, I'm stuck on a brain loop with that where I know that I shouldn't keep saying it over and over again, but for some reason yeah. I can't. It, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, somewhat cathartic, I think. I guess. To try and let that feeling out a little bit. I guess so. so, but as a writer, I really should be using other phrases and not just repeating myself over and True. over and over again. So um, my apologies for that. <laughs> but when we are in... A time like this, and I mean yeah. uh, economic recession, uncertainty, people are being laid off, unemployment is, is, is terrible, and obviously the hospitality industry has been racked by, uh, by, by this, but it, people start to reevaluate their lives, and they start saying, okay, well, I want to pursue my dream or I want, I don't want to sit behind a desk or, you know, sit behind my home office desk forever. Um, I want to do something that excites me and culinary school usually pops up to the top of the list for a lot of folks where Mm -hmm. they say, okay, you know, I like cooking at home. I have a passion for food. I watch the food network a lot, whatever it is, uh, good reasons or not. Um, there are probably people thinking about, well, what do I do next? Uh, as as a vaccine comes out and we, we try to reclaim, reclaim normalcy uh, in, in this world of ours. If somebody is thinking about culinary school, brewing school, what sort of internal questions do you think they need to answer themselves first before they well, pick I mean, up the phone I and call a guy like you? The first thing is, you know, yeah. um, why are they doing it in the first place, right? What, why are you looking at this? And, and clearly, if someone's thinking about culinary school or brewing school, it's because they're passionate about the subject matter. And, and that's re- that is the right place to start from. You have to have a love for whatever this ingredient or product or, or, or process is. Um, and then I think the next thing you want to look at is, you know, obviously you want to explore your options and see uh, what's available to you. You know, if you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I love this process i love beer or i love food and i want to go i want i want to make this my life um yeah i think you do want to look at all your options and see what sort of educational opportunities are out there for you um not everyone wants to go back to for a four-year degree right uh even though there are great like our great four-year programs there's great two-year programs for brewing in particular there's some great distance learning and two three-week four-week six-week shorter courses um and then I think you need to be realistic about what your end goal is. So you're going to go learn and pursue your passion. What am I going to do afterwards? Um, I think with, with people who are late life learners and, um, and change of career path learners, I think people are realistic. I think in the culinary world, they're a little more realistic than they are in the brewing world. Uh, I think a lot of people jump into craft beer uh, especially as brewery owners or, or small brewers, I mean very, very small, because they're passionate about it without a realistic understanding of uh, how much work goes into it. Yeah. And so you, you have to embrace the idea that this is a job and that there is a financial aspect to it and that there is as much as everyone who's a brewer I know who loves being a brewer, and I still love being a brewer after 18 years, um, sometimes it's a job and every job isn't fun all the time. So... Uh, I think you need to be realistic about that. I think you need to be realistic about the income potential. Right. Because it's not always there. Uh, and so do yeah. you have the... You know, Brewing is you, not lucrative, cooking less so. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, or vice versa, depending on where you are. Yeah. You know, and either one of those, right, are you an entrepreneur? You know, are you going to go start your own place? If so, then you then you have a pretty good idea of what you need to make to live and 
you can do the research on what does a small brewery produce? Like how much income can you get from a small brewery or, or how much income can you get from owning your own bakery or bistro, right? That's that information's all out there and you should be aware of that. Um, if you just love what, if you just love the idea of it, but you have a career that you like, then I say pursue it as a hobbyist. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with going and working part-time somewhere while you continue to have, you know, if you have a job that fulfills you already. Now, if you hate what you do and you want to change, then that's a different story. But you do need to be realistic, I think, about how much money you're going to make and what you need to survive and what the hours are. Um, restaurant work, if you're going to be in the kitchen, is, you know, be prepared to work weekends and evenings and holidays. Yeah. You know, everyone's getting ready to hunker down for Thanksgiving, but guess what? There are restaurants out there that are still going to be open. Um, I'll be, you know, we, we're here on a college campus. We have students that will be here. I'll be here working on Thanksgiving. Um, so we can serve students. So we need to, that's something you need to be realistic about about with yourself. I think you also need to be realistic about what your other life commitments are like. Uh, I think it's harder for people with kids um, because you, you start to miss stuff because you work odd hours. You're not going to be working nine to five anymore uh, or very, very rarely will you work nine to five. Um, so none of those things should deter you. They just need to be, you know, if you love what you, if you really want to be a brewer or you really want to be a chef, uh, I think that, these are just things you need to be realistic about. Um, I don't think you're going to find a lot of people. I mean, you, there's always burnout. People get burnt out on certain stuff. But if you talk to a chef who's passionate about food or you talk to a brewer who's passionate about his or her beer, I think you're still going to find that they love what they do. You just have to know that there's it's not all sunshine and lollipops. Lollipops, which you actually can put into beer if you want to these days. So. Uh, and Or, you know, perhaps as a garnish on dessert. <laughs> You know, shave, we'll shave them into into some some little thing. But yes, um, it, it, look, it's a great career. It's a great job. It's a great industry to be a part of. Um, I think both industries um, are very positive for the most part, and that's a big change for a lot of people coming into at least for brewing. Right? People aren't used to an industry where everyone's friendly and cooperative, uh, and brewing is, and that's one of the best things. People are one of the best things about brewing. Uh, uh, some of my my very best friends are people I've met I've met in the industry and continue to be friendly with. Yeah. Well, uh, people should definitely go and uh, check out. I think it's ciachef.edu is the website. Yep, that's that is the official website for the school. Um, you can follow the brewery on Instagram or Facebook at CIA Brewery. Uh, the campus is not currently open to the public. Uh, as that's a bummer because it's actually a lot of fun to go and visit. It's it been is, a few years since I was up there. We have but, yeah. five restaurants and we do fun events here, and uh, we have a big beer festival in the fall usually, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, our brewery sits in our student center. I'm looking at the Hudson River right now from my brewery, uh, which is a nice change of pace for most breweries where you're stuck in the back of a building under ultraviolet light. I was um, going to say, that doesn't suck. No, it's it's not it's not such a bad place to be. Uh, but the day will come when we will be open to the public again, and, and so I hope people will, uh, will visit. In the meantime, we are working hard on getting our beer into uh, – local Hudson Valley area bars and restaurants uh, or in beverage shops, places that uh, will fill growlers and crowlers. Uh, and hopefully very soon we'll be shipping beer via UPS uh, here in New York state. That's exciting. So, yeah. I'm looking at the, I actually got the documents sitting in my inbox right now. So you'll be able to order beer uh, produced by our students with my help. Um, and they'll be packaging it up and shipping it out to you. So you're, you're directly supporting their education, uh, which is a wonderful thing. You can say when I drink this beer, I am helping the next generation of culinary leaders um, fulfill their dreams. Yeah, it's making you smarter by drinking it. Absolutely. It's making us all better. <laughs> the world is becoming a better place when you drink my beer. 
Well, I'll let you go get to that uh, inbox and to turn the warrant back up. I appreciate you turning it back down while uh, while we were talking yeah, you know, on the phone. But it's not always a good time for hair metal, but sometimes it's a uh, early '90s glam rock, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's where it's at. But um, thanks for taking the time and happy Thanksgiving. And yeah, uh, you too, John. It's it's good great catching up with you. you. Yeah, you too. That's Hutch Kugeman of the Culinary Institute of America. What are you drinking this year at your table? Something special? Something familiar? Something new? Tell me about it on social media. It's John underscore Hall. That's J-O-H-N underscore H-O-L-L on Twitter, as well as The Beer Edge. And I'm going to keep on this for a while because we could all use the reminder. We're in a tough time with the pandemic, and this is also the time of year where a lot of stresses bubble up to the surface. Please take the time to check in with yourself and others. You're not alone in feeling the pressures of the day, and it's okay to ask for help if you need it. There are people who are here for you and want to lend a hand. And I want to thank you all for listening, and I want to remind you to reach out with questions, suggestions, or more to johnhall at beeredge.com or again on Twitter at john underscore hall. Beer Edge is online at beeredge.com, and there you can subscribe to the newsletter and to check out the podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. Nate Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. I'm going to remind you to tune in to Steal This Beer every Monday and monthly to the BYO Nano podcast where I talk shop with small brewers. And before we go. This episode is sponsored by Cigar City Brewing, and Neil Callahan, the brewery's brand manager, is back with me on the phone right now, and we're talking about the brewery's high-low IPA. And Neil, I'm curious as to what you all see as the appeal for a low ABV, low-calorie IPA for the beer drinker these days. I think at this point, we're all conscientious of calories. We're all conscientious of alcohol content as well. So this is a recipe that we've been working on for quite a while. At the same time, we didn't want to release it out into the world until it was really true to the inspiration that is Highlight IPA. We didn't want to just get a good beer out there. We wanted to get a beer that was true to Highlight IPA, but with that lower alcohol and lower calorie count. And it took us a while to get there, but we're really proud with where we're at. When people hear the word low, oftentimes they're going to think that there's less flavor, less aroma. Um, I've had the beer. That's not the case. But but I'm curious as to drinkers who haven't had it yet, what would you say, here's what you're going to get when, when you pour it into a glass? Sure. Think tropical fruit. Think some pineapple. Think tangerine, clementine little bit of a honeydew melon quality to the beer as well just enough caramel to balance the whole thing out and then the bitterness is in there really for balance so overall balance and approachability is is what you're going to get in the glass hit us with the stats four percent alcohol 120 calories 35 ibus balanced and approachable Thanks, Neil, and thanks to Cigar City Brewing for being the sponsor of this episode. Neil's going to be back next week, but in the meantime, you all should go and visit CigarCityBrewing.com to learn more about Hilo and also pick some uh, pick some up for yourself. I'm gonna let me try that one more time. Thanks, Neil, and thanks to Cigar City Brewing for being the sponsor of this episode. Neil's going to be back with us next week, but in the meantime, you should all go visit CigarCityBrewing.com to learn more about Hilo, and also you should go out and pick some up for yourself. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving this year. I'm John Hall, and new episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.